Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasting today, believe it or not, from the house that Steve Nash built. It's got the Levy Center. It's on the campus of Santa Clara University. And uh, I get a chance to call a game tonight. Pretty exciting. Uh, should be fun. Should be fun. Um, we got a lot to get to, and this is going to be a fun, fun show. Um, a reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is brought to you by BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the most trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21, present in Colorado, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana to play. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome in. Welcome in. Okay, so the the way it works is, and I always find this to be interesting, the way it works with lawsuits is we do, and, and, and this is not just, this is not just with Brian Flores. These are in lawsuits that, uh, you know, against players, and if they've, they, they've done something that they're accused of, and we have to, we do a terrible job in the media of presenting both sides of the story. We just do. It's not something that we're good at. We'd like to think we do, but we don't. And, and it's not just both sides of the story, but it's also if a salacious headline and accusation and trial exists when it doesn't work out the way that public sentiment believes it's going to when the initial report or initial lawsuit goes down, we almost bury it and pretend like it never happened, you know? But I don't know what the truth is with the Brian Flores accusations. I, I, I don't. Um, I've heard from plenty of NFL people that have said, yes, in the past there have been, you know, interviews that, that, that felt like they were just interviews for interview's sake. I don't know if that's the case here. And... It feels like on many and many levels, here's a guy that really liked the job that he had, lost the job that he had, and the way in which he was portrayed led him to make some claims, which are probably the way he feels, but may not be aligned up with with reality. So so here's what I mean. Brian Flores um, made accusations about the Broncos. John L. was like, dude, we didn't have a, we had an interview in Denver. We caught a red eye. We had a, we did a three and a half hour interview. We had a small window of time and we took copious notes. Like, what do you want us to do? I can tell you again, I take red eyes all the time. If you see me, when I step off a red eye, you'd be like, you look like you look 10 years older. <laughs> you know, it does. It'll take eight. Now I love red eyes because it just cuts down the, time from point A to point B, even if it's the same amount of time, it's not working hours. You know, I have the ability to fall asleep on a plane, wake up, go do whatever. I used to do it every weekend when I was at CBS for college basketball. Take a red-eyed New York on a Friday night, and oftentimes I was on a plane back that next day. 
But, I, you know, you can be a little disheveled. You can't be a little on edge. But we need, none of us were there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. We, we, we have no idea, none, what the reality is. Uh, according to multiple reports, Flores is a finalist for the Houston Texans job. That, that made sense, by the way, a long time ago. Right? Like, the Texans are run by Patriots guys. The, the, the Texans, if we're honest, for PR's sake, after firing the, one of only a handful of black coaches in the league, that went hurt. But he made sense as a coach because that coach needs to have a little bit stronger voice with the front office. Not what Bill O'Brien had somewhere in the middle, but in order to have that voice, you got to have a relationship with guys in the front office. He does because they all come from that Patriots tree. That made a ton of sense. I just don't know how you claim the, the league is racist with their hiring tactics. Sue the league, you know, call out two different, you know, one's an owner, one's a legend, a guy who runs a franchise that may well own the Broncos soon enough anyway, and then get a job within the league. That one is fascinating. Jerry Jones had this to say to Jory Epstein, who covers the Cowboys. I can see it's an area, one of many, that we can do better. The area has some good intention. It's obvious that if you look through that league and the coaches are trying to improve there. What does he mean by that, by the way? we, We haven't and and I think college sports doesn't do a good enough job of this either. Sometimes people don't champion their quiet successes in trying to bring diversity or trying to evolve and trying to make uh, their job, the workspace better, right? There's a, there's a specific job on every staff as a minority coaching position, right? In addition, the league is trying to work women into the fold as some form of football coaches. By the way, that is met with a ton, way more, a ton of resistance. But there, there actually has been, and if you look back, remember, they've changed some of the rules and you do get a, a, a slight benefit if you promote from within or promote minority front office and coaches and you retain those coaches. When the league pushed for more, almost more of an affirmative action kind of stance to it, all, all coaches and administrators in the NFL, black and white, thought it was too much. Jones said he didn't have anything to say about any other team as far as the interview goes into its process. I think the fact that it's an issue shows not only the league's willingness to address and do better. I think the fact that it's been discussed and how the Rooney rule or what drives the Rooney rule could do better. In the case of Coach Flores' complaint, he's saying it could do better and... Uh, and the processes create a positive result for the league. Now, I don't know if this is a positive result. I think ultimately there will be a positive result. You know, it's been law. It's been widely reported that Byron Leftwich is the is the odds-on favorite to get the Jacksonville job. The issue there is he wants Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals to be the GM, <laughs> not the current GM, which may happen. And in addition to Houston. There's the thought that Tampa comes open if uh, Bruce Arians retires, and if he does, Todd Bowles likely gets his second chance at a head coaching position. So where are we with this? Look, you have the owner, Stephen Ross, saying it's completely untrue. You have John Elway saying it's completely untrue. 
And oh yeah, by the way, neither of those claims, if you actually look at it, including and the Giants claim, don't stand up to the smell. T- they just don't. You can sit here and tell me like, well, I, I've, I've been called every name, basically a racist since this. And, and <laughs> it, when if you actually have any brains at all and have listened to me for any of the 15 years in which I've done afternoon radio at three different networks, I've said the exact same thing. Diversity is absolutely needed. Okay. And and the, the, the Rooney rule, when when used properly, it may not work in terms of immediately, but it's the same idea of getting in a room and getting to know different people and spreading out so that your tree is not just that of whatever organization you came up on. But the New York Giants had interviewed twice two other African-American coaches, two other black coaches. Right? Twice. First interview and second interview. And yes, they asked to talk to Brian Flores. And as I told you people at the time, and I've told people forever, anyone who pays attention knows that John Mara, the owner of the Giants, believes Bill Belichick is a deity. He didn't want to fire Joe Judge. He hired Joe Judge because Bill Belichick said, you should hire this guy. And so Flores was a, you know, look, well, Flores get fired. I don't know what happened in Miami, but that guy's really good. And everybody thinks he's a really good coach. But part of coaching, or a big part of coaching, big part of any job, is managing down and managing up. And I don't think he managed up well at all. And I think there's a mixed, there's, there, there's mixed feelings on how he managed down. But if you think that all these interviews, that, you know, this only happens to a black coach, Jim Harbaugh is the perfect example. Many people thought Jim Harbaugh, because the GM, the new GM in Minnesota worked for Jim Harbaugh or worked with the Niners when he first started in the NFL, that that was a done deal. And what happened? They had a coach in mind, the offensive coordinator of the Rams. They went through their interviews, and they circled back to the guy who was the favorite to begin with, which is what happened with the New York Giants. You hire a GM and Bill Shane. I'm sure it was with the idea in mind that I'm going to bring in Brian Dable because the, co- the, the owner thinks that Danny, Danny Dimes can still play. we got to try and get the most out of Danny Dimes. In order to do that, you got to get the guy who, who can give us the best chance to fix him. That's Brian Dable. Incredibly well-respected. Go back two weeks ago or when, they're, when they're playing against the Chiefs and how many people who are reputable NFL people are like, man, Brian Dable should get a job. That guy's done an amazing job. Amazing job with the offense and with Josh Allen. Then he gets the job and people are like, well, you know, he's not qualified. Okay. Look, here's, I was talking to a friend in the NFL yesterday. And, and the statement he made to me is a statement I've made to other people. Do you think for a second in a billion dollar business, these businesses are worth between two and five, six billion dollars. Okay. And the, the way to make money, the way for everybody to get paid, is to win. That's it. It's to win. Who gives us the best chance to win? So what you have to formulate in your mind, if these accusations are correct, okay, is that in 2022, 2022, that an owner would say, you know, I really, 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 really want to win. But I would prefer to win with a white coach than a black coach. 
Do you do you think that's part of the problem, or or for the general manager? Do you think that's a legit discussion? Because the people I've spoken with are like, it literally has never come up, ever, ever. I mean, again, that's what you're. You have to look at the argument. The argument is, hey, Brian Flores, he's a he's a really good coach. But we're not, we don't necessarily want him above Brian Dable because he's black. Do I think there was a time 50 years ago, 40 years ago, where that was the case? Maybe. Yeah, there, probably on some scale, scale there, there, there was. Okay? But in 2022, I find it really, really hard. I'm not saying it, it, things don't exist in our society, but to steal from... Uh, to, to steal from Tony Romo when he lost his gig to Dak Prescott. Football's a meritocracy. Do you have to be liked? Do you have to work with other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to remember what you're saying if you're saying these accusations are unilaterally true throughout the National Football League. And right now, John Elway, who wasn't going to say anything, he's pissed. Stephen Ross... He's pissed. Now, if if he has the receipts on Stephen Ross offering him $100,000, that's a different question. By the way, that doesn't have any racial implications. Um, Hugh Jackson, of course, went to social media. He made his own sort of accusations about the Browns. The Browns came out and vehemently and vigorously denied themselves. Here's Hugh going on ESPN talking about a situation. It's not, you know, I wasn't offered $100,000 for every game, but there was a substantial amount of money made within, you know, what happened in the situation every year at the end of it. And I didn't, like I said, really truly understood why until all those numbers and you add it up and you go, what is this? And then you look at year three and four and it talks about winning games. It talks about winning eight to 10 games, winning 10 games or winning the division. To me, that that's amazing to me and no coach takes a job to lose and I think people understand that you take jobs to win your contract says wins you don't get paid for losing and then here I am after being one in 31 I'm kept the third year and given a contract extension that nobody knew so that should tell everybody something right there why do you keep a coach who's one in 31 when your track record has been to get rid of coaches as fast as you can you give them a contract extension you keep that quiet and the same people who are involved in all of these transactions are still running the, the organization today. So that means they must have been doing something right through all that losing. That is the, that is the biggest plate of word salad I've ever seen. Have you ever heard some word salad like that? Hugh's saying the only reason I got a contract extension was because I lost games and they wanted me to lose games? That, I, mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm at a complete loss. By the way, we have incentivized losing based upon the drafting process. We used to have it in the NBA, a pure lottery system, right? Now we've made it even more incentivized to lose as many games as possible. I mean, Dan Beyer talked about it yesterday on how he, he wishes to just go back to the pure lottery. If you don't make the playoffs, you got an equal shot. We haven't had that for a long time. So the leagues have made it so that it's better for your future if you lose. The Browns did not apparently hold Hugh Jackson personally responsible for all the losing and rewarded him with a, ba- with, with a, with a new contract because he had been through the tough days. 
only to fire him because once they felt like they had the appropriate level of talent, they didn't like the coaching. I, I, I got to tell you, we're, we're making it into something that it is not. We're taking steps that just aren't there. That, that's actually, that actually speaks more highly about the Browns organization than anything I can possibly think of. But wow. Word salad. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. This is Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. So I, I saw this, and it's interesting. You know, we, we talked about a couple days ago how it was weird, it was curious at least, that Tom Brady, you know, he, he didn't mention the Patriots in his retirement goodbye. You know, he had, how many pages was it on, on IG? You know, and he doesn't even mention the Patriots. No mention of them. And if you think we're the only ones who saw it, I think what you should do is check out uh, check out some of the other stuff that's happened on social media. Uh, Eric Mangini will join us in a second, but there was an incredible post from Bill Belichick calling him the greatest football player ever. The same with um, the same with Robert Kraft and the Patriots, and of course Tom Brady did then. What what is that called, Jay Stu? What he did, where you post a little remark on somebody else's post. He didn't reply. It was something else. Is that a uh, repost? No. Uh, no. Quote tweet. No. No. <laughs> um, I was saying, what would you call that? Where where you comment on like you like take like a photo and then you type in your own, like what he did to Belichick's post. I don't know what you call that in today's parlance. Dan, I, I thought I thought quote tweet was how it's now phrased. If that's, but that's yeah. if you quote tweet. What he did was it's an Instagram post, and then he or on his Instagram post, regram. He he he, he well he reposted, but then he posted like a little message over the top. Greatest coach ever, Bill Belichick. It's almost like oh my god, I can't believe they saw that. I forgot to put them on there. Now let me make it out like I was just I, I, I yeah you guys are the greatest ever. It was so weird. So awkward. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Eric Mangini joins us. He's been a head coach with the Jets, he's been a head coach with the Browns. He's a Fox Sports One NFL analyst. Okay, so Eric, when you got the Jets job, who was the GM originally? Uh it was Terry Bradway and eventually it was Mike Tannenbaum. Okay, so did you have a relationship with Terry before you interviewed for the job? I didn't know Terry, but I knew Mike from working there before with Parcells, and I had known him for a long time. So that was my my main connection. And, um, you know, I would gotten to know Terry a little bit through Mike, but I didn't have a, a relationship with him. All right. In, in, during the interview process, h- how important was a pre-existing relationship with any of the organization in order to work there? Well, look, that was a uh, unique situation because I had been there three years before I had gone to the Patriots. So I really understood the building. I knew a lot of people that were in the building. Um, you know, I, I had a, a really good relationship with Mike, who was close with Terry. 
but I'm sure that all played a part in in why I got the interview. Huh. Um, what 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 what's your what are your thoughts as somebody who's been through this process several times over, been hired twice, been fired twice? Like you know how hard these jobs are to get, how hard these jobs are to keep. Uh, in in Brian Flores and and his accusations of what's going on in the NFL. Well, relationships with with all the hiring is is a big part of it, and you when you get a job, you want to be able to be confident that the guys you're bringing in are guys that philosophically believe in the same things that you believe in, and uh, I, if you if you know them, if you've worked with them, that's that's a real plus. If you know people that have worked with them and and advocate for them strongly, that's a real plus. It's it's a it's a big relationship business, and and that's it's not like you just put your your resume in, and suddenly they they pluck you out of the blue. Now that being said, you also work really hard to make sure that you have the best staff. You don't want to just hire guys because they're friends of yours. You want to hire guys because they're the best guys. Right. And part of that equation, though, is what you personally know about them and what, what you've experienced with them, that, that's a huge plus. Yeah. No, I, I it's the, the Dayball thing is, I mean, it's fascinating where whatever, if, you know, Belichick, I, I, the, nobody spreads rumors more than coaches, right? I'm sure you know this, where I mean, in basketball, you get texts all the time, heard this guy's going here and this guy's going there. And this is like months before it happens. But the Dayball thing does make sense because you have a, a guy who's in Buffalo, he's the assistant GM. The hot coach out of Buffalo is Brian Dable, who is seen to have uh, have have fixed Josh Allen to where he's a superstar. And when you're trying to fix your quarterback in New York, and he has a relationship, and he and the GM seen him work, like all of that makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, typically you you have a pretty strong idea of of if you get a job, who you want to bring with you. Now, I I will say, though, Doug, if you can get in the room and and make an impression, sometimes sometimes that changes. But you you go in with a disadvantage if if the head coach or GM or owner, whoever is hiring, knows knows that person intimately and has seen them work and – the, the the other part, sorry, Eric. The, the other part is, and that's the part you I, that I I actually like about taking interviews is you never know, not just for that job, but for other jobs, right? There's going to be other people in that room, and like I know for a fact that one of the reasons Flores got the job with the Dolphins was the year before he did some interviews, and people were blown away by the guy. They're like, man, this guy's really good. He hadn't been a defense coordinator yet. Felt like maybe it was a year or two too soon, but I I think that is. It's the spirit of the Rooney Rule is a good spirit. It's the execution of it which which seems to be flawed. Yeah, look, I, I spoke to a head coach uh, right when I left Cleveland, and I had recommended someone, and he he brought the guy in based off of the recommendation, but he didn't really give him a shot. He he wasn't looking to hire him, but he got blown away by the guy in the interview, and he ended up hiring him, and and getting him in the room was was a big part of that. And then he had to do the rest. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you can get in front of someone, as long as it's just not a, a lock that, that someone else has the job, then you have a, you have an opportunity. And I think that's, 
you can make that case a little bit more strongly when ownership is involved because the owners don't have the same ties that they, the GM has. They're, they're looking for whatever's best for the organization, and, and they'll definitely trump decisions. Uh, it's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Let's talk some actual football. Um, what happened to Pat Mahomes in that second half? Uh, you know, it's I, it's it's one of those things where, as, as you go through the the course of the season, you saw that that there's that period of time where it almost felt like he had had the yips or or uh, was really was really struggling. And and that happens. And I talked a lot about that, Doug, at the start of the season. Is if you expect Patrick Mahomes to be Superman every single game, at some point you're going to be let down because he he can't. You you can't do it week in and week out. And and sometimes when you're used to doing it and always coming through, and then it doesn't happen, that that can play in, in into your confidence. In, in the second half, I thought Cincinnati did a lot of good things. I think they. They did a nice job of giving them different looks. They did a nice job of, of switching up the, the coverages, and that threw that threw Kansas City off some. Uh, you know, the the ball that got intercepted was actually a really nicely thrown ball. It just the DB made a nice play on it. You know, the the um, the final one, and then it's but frustrating. There, I'm sure for there Kansas were, City there, fans, but. There were some throws that he made. You're like, wow, what is he? I, I, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen. And, I mean, you know, scrambling around and, and, and fumbling on third down before the, before the game-tying field goal, right? The only three points of the second half in overtime. There were times in which he just, not maybe not that throw, but other throws where he looked more off in a big moment than I can remember him looking. Well, what, what, was, what was surprising about that, that play in particular is I thought he had a chance with, with Kelsey if he had let it rip early. And then Tyreek Hill, who was on the left-hand side of the offensive formation, had actually gone all the way to the right-hand side, and the DBs blew it in terms of who was supposed to pick him up in the scramble drill. And he was open a- as well. You know, maybe maybe it just wasn't a clean enough look for, for Patrick, and he didn't want to take a chance of, okay, if I throw a pick here – you know, we can't kick the field goal. It could have been it could have been that that type of equation too, because he lost the points at the end of the half by making a poor decision. What? Um, how have the Bengals done this? I mean, everybody points to the offense, but the defense that's that's not a great defense on paper. Yet two games they faced the Chiefs. Both games they got behind, but only give up three points in the second half. What's what's the secret sauce to what Cincinnati's doing? Well, I think they've done a really nice job defensively of, of playing well together. And, and it is one of those things where as, as you look down the roster, you're thinking, okay, who, well, who are the, who are the playmakers? And, and Trey Hendrickson, he, he creates a lot of problems. Sam, Sam Hubbard's done a nice job. They, they've got a lot of guys that have contributed uh, where, where – they're not they're not necessarily stars, but their contribution has been has been really good and collectively it's been really good and and I give them a lot of credit from a from a scheme perspective too they they do multiple things they they disguise pretty well 
and and they've been very opportunistic. They lead the uh, the league in the post or the playoff group in the postseason in turnover differential. I think they're at plus four, and and they've had big turnovers in in big moments. The one to end the Raiders game, the two to set up the wins against the you know the one against um, Tennessee to set up the win, and then the one against Kansas City to set up the win. That 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 goes a long way, Doug. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Let's get to the Rams and the Niners. Um, that was a game where the Rams' defensive line stopped the Niners' running game. That That's something that very few teams in the NFL have been able to do when the Niners have been at full strength. What, what was it that the Rams were able to do to stymie that vaunted running attack? Well, they, they committed to it early. They got really big early. They... Um, they they brought in uh, extra linebacker type or extra defensive linemen, some extra linebacker types, and there was a concerted effort, obviously, to say, okay, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with with Garoppolo throwing the ball and and making big plays, and and really early on, there was an opportunity um, down the middle of the field that that Jimmy missed a huge. It would have been. It would have been a huge play, but that's because they were so committed to stopping the run and off play action. And then you know, you're going to give up some things when, when you when you take away some things. And, and unless your opponent can really make you pay for it, that they, they don't get you out of it. Um, what about Stafford? I mean, I, I, we'd we'd long heard about the arm talent. And I always thought, well, what would it be like if he played in a system that fit him better, surrounded with better players, better coach team? He did have that kind of arm punt that Tart dropped. Are you convinced that Stafford is a big game quarterback? Yeah, he's he's played really well all throughout the playoffs. And Odell Beckham's been, been huge for them. Everybody's pushing coverage to, to Cup, and Odell – has plenty of opportunities and Stafford's gotten the ball and, and, and he's been able to come up with, with some major, major plays. I think it's going to be the same thing in the Super Bowl. They're going to have to deal with trying to, to stop Cup and Odell's going to have huge opportunities and, and Stafford's done a nice job getting him, getting the ball and taking advantage of that. Who do you and, like? And really, there, there, was the one, there was the one interception that, that was dropped and there was the one that was in the end zone early in the game. But for the most part, I think Stafford's done a nice job of not taking too many chances, not trying to to force things, and and it's looked good. It's looked really good. And they haven't run the ball well at all throughout the playoffs. Okay. Do you think that? Who do you think wins the Super Bowl? I I really like Cincinnati because they they remind me a little bit of where we were in New England the first time we won the Super Bowl. I mean, when you look at it on paper and coming off of, of a 5-11 and 11 season, nobody really gave us an opportunity, but at, at that point, or, or gave us a chance, but at that point, there was, there was a collective competence and determination, and the sum was greater than, than the parts. So I like, I like Cincinnati. Tom Brady retired. You, you got a chance to coach and, and coach against him. Right? If you could explain to somebody who has no idea 
other than he just he wins. Well, he wins. Okay, well, he's been a part of winning teams. How would you describe what made him now considered the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, there's there's a lot of things. One thing is that he he was really smart. Okay, and there's a lot of guys that are really smart, but he he studied and he, he consistently built on the on the reps that he took, on the experiences that he had, and he could come to the line of scrimmage and. If you showed him what you were in, he was going to get the ball to the right place because there's always an answer in every in every pattern for every coverage. And if you showed him, he was going to take advantage of that. He was extremely demanding of the people that played around him to be in the right spots. If you were in the right spot, it didn't matter if you were a star or not a, a star. He was he, it was a meritocracy. He was going to throw you the ball, but if you weren't, he wasn't. So so. That elevated players that that typically you wouldn't think should be as successful as they were, and then he was extremely coachable. No matter how much fame, success, money, he could be coached just as hard as anybody else. And when you have that in a locker room, it's incredibly powerful. If everybody walks in and says, "Okay, well, he's he's open to this. He's he's trying to improve. He's doing the things that that they're asking him to do." How, how can I not try to, to, to emulate that? And then there was the, the sense that you didn't want to, to let him down. You knew that if you had time, you had a chance, if you just held up your end of the bargain. And so you didn't want to be the reason that, that you didn't win. And that elevated everybody as well. Do you, do you think he meant to not mention the Patriots in his last goodbye? You know, he, he's such a good guy that... You know, I'm sure some people consider that or could consider that to be malicious. But I, I do think that at the end of the day, New England really didn't want him. And New England broke up with him, and he went and, and proved that he could succeed outside of the system in, in a totally different environment. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a little bit of hurt feelings there. No. That'll all go away, and at the end of the day, you know he's he's a patriot first. But we all know it, it can be hard to get over a breakup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely can. Uh, Eric, you're the best. I hope you're coming out for the Super Bowl. Look forward to seeing you if you do so. In the meantime, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome, Doug. I'll talk to you soon. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. 10 Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, we're in that week of uh, not nothingness, a lot of stories, but the week before Super Bowl week. Next week will be live in downtown L.A. Getting ready for the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Uh, we got a lot to get to here. Check out the latest lines in World of Sports at BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the trust name in online sports betting. You must be 21. Present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, this is interesting. So the Rams, of course, are now in going to be in their second Super Bowl since they moved to Los Angeles. And there's a lot of talk about the fact that the Niners, the Niners fans kind of took over SoFi in both of the Rams' home games 
Um, this was this was Kevin Demoff, who's the COO, Chief Operating Officer of the Rams, talking about the LA market. I think it's an unprecedented opportunity for the Los Angeles Rams. And when you get a chance to play in a Super Bowl, that always helps wins hearts and minds. When you get a chance to host a Super Bowl, that obviously helps elevate your brand, the SoFi Stadium brand, the NFL in Los Angeles as a whole. When you combine those two, it's an unbelievably powerful mix to develop that next generation of fandom. While the crowd certainly had plenty of 49ers, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. And the most important thing we can do to build this franchise after being gone for years is to capture the next generation of fans. Uh, there's so many fans who grew up from 1995 to 2016 without a team to root. Uh, it's our now that we are back in Los Angeles, but there are so many who moved here in that time frame who root for other teams, as they should. But the best way to capture that next generation, it's not about flipping someone who's a fan who grew Pittsburgh and moved to Los Angeles and becoming a Rams fan. That's great if it happens. But what it's about is their kids who are 8, 9, 10 years old growing up wearing Cooper Cup jerseys, wearing Aaron Donald jerseys, and becoming lifelong Rams fans. I, I, that was about as well put as you could possibly put it. And it's interesting because your son's not enough. I'm guessing he's going to raise a seat, right? Most your kids are old enough. Now, are your kids Rams fans? Well, John's not in today. Oh, it's sorry. Sorry. No, I'm yeah. sorry. I forgot. That's all right. I, I was him as actually John Ramos' son. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, uh, now, now, Sam. I'm a Packer you, fan. You're a Packer fan. I, I do like I, the Rams, though, too. Most people in Iowa are, are Packer Bears, or Bears fans, Bears, right? Yeah, for Bears sure. are Packers. Bears are Packers. Um, what about you, Jay Stu? You were, have you always been a Charger fan? No, 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 no. This is um, an incarnation in the last 20 years as my son has grown up a Charger fan. So um, I was a, like I, I just said, I was a Marino guy, a Dolphins guy. I grew up five minutes from Anaheim Stadium. Um, so I kind of followed the Rams. But no, no, this is a recent thing for me just because uh, happy son, happy dad, you know. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So I grew up similarly. We, we didn't grow up in the same neighborhood, but I was also five minutes from Anaheim Stadium as well. And my recollection was nobody really liked the Rams back then. Exactly. No, they were just, they, they, it wasn't that we didn't, we hated them. You have to, this is a hard one for people to understand. As popular as the NFL is now, it wasn't really that popular then. It just wasn't. The Raiders, Raider games were in L.A., and it was, that was during the peak of gang wars, and it was, it was one of those, no, no one from outside of L.A. would go to, would go to USC Stadium, the, the, the Coliseum, and watch a Raider game. You know, it just, it, there was too many stories of, of opposing fans getting beaten up, and whether they were real stories or stories of lore, there were some real stories with it. But the Raiders were very much, uh, you know, it was very much an L.A. kind of, more of an L.A. sort of team. And the Rams, being in Orange County and having previously been in L.A., they didn't really have a ton of fans in L.A. And it wasn't like they were beloved. And it wasn't like the NFL was really that popular. Remember, this is early 90s when the Dodgers had won a World Series in 88, when the, the, when the Lakers had been one of the dominant teams in the NBA for, the, for 15 years with Magic and Worthy and Byron Scott and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right? Even the Angels in the late 80s were very good, right? They, they lost to the Red Sox in the playoffs in, in 87. The Rams were kind of an afterthought. I think what Kevin Demoff said is totally, if you can get the hearts and minds of kids, if you can get to where they had that one favorite player, that one favorite team. And I, I think the Chargers are in a similar space, obviously, because they have the quarterback. But but this is, 
it could not have that. That's actually we haven't discussed this yet because there's been so many things going on in terms of the rest of the NFL reacting to Sunday's games and then reacting to this. Brian Flores story has kind of hijacked the rest of, of, of the sports stories. But what's fascinating about it is Sunday night when the Rams qualified for the Super Bowl and they won the NFC in that building. It's and and I don't believe for one second that the league wanted it to happen, but this is a major that was a five billion dollar building. They paid almost a billion dollars to St. Louis to get in this recent lawsuit so that St. Louis would leave them alone about a football team and they're never gonna get a football team ever again, right? And yet all of it came together or is going to come together Super Bowl Sunday. And it's, it's really interesting, you know, like the Ra- the Raiders thing is going to work in Vegas and they're going to have a they're going to have a Super Bowl there. It's become a major league city. I think the Raiders will experience some of the same stuff, right? Where they'll have some games where it's 50-50, although there's a huge, there's always been a big Raiders fan base in Las Vegas anyway. Very popular team in Vegas, very popular team in parts of Northern California, a popular team in the Inland Empire, popular team in Southern California. So they'll, they'll, they won't have trouble getting fans, but, they'll, but there will be the fans that fly in. Whereas in Los Angeles and Southern California, plenty of people not only grew up other places, but were fans of other teams for a long time. And I don't think you're going to, most people don't change who their team is. They may be attracted to a player like an OBJ or like an Aaron Donald or, or, or a Cooper Cup. Uh, but I do think that it, if, you can, if you can get them when they're young, because that's, that's my story, right? I was, a, I was 94, I wasn't that young, but I was a high school junior, 93, 94. They leave, and I became, right? the Chargers were good then. They had Natron Means Business and Stan the Man Humphreys. And of course, everybody loved Junior Seau. That be, I was like, I like the Chargers. They always had cool uniforms. The lightning bolt was cool. They were good. That became my team. I'm sticking with them. It's, it's those impressionable years where you decide. And we've kind of made it where in sports, like you can't switch teams. Hey, how many teams? I lived in New England. I lived in Connecticut for 12 years. You know how bad I wanted to be a Patriots fan? But I'm not a Patriots fan. I can't become a Patriots fan. I can't be that guy. But I loved how the Patriots just found a way to win. You know, I like most of the culture of the Ravens. Love to be a Ravens fan. But I'm not from Baltimore. It's not my team. I'm not going to sit there and all of a sudden become switch colors. I'm going to suffer through this thing. And I'll, there, will, there will be a January and a February when I have my time. It might not be now. I may be an old man, but it'll happen. Now, Bayer, Bayer you're a, a Seahawks fan. Yes. Has there ever been a thought where, now like your son, who's not yet able to choose, he's going to be a Seahawks fan, isn't he? Yeah, I hope so. I've got Seahawks onesies. You know, we've gotten great gifts from people. Seahawks bibs, little, uh, you know, baby shoes, stuff like that. Uh, a nice, beautiful blanket that, that someone made. Yeah, I, he, is, he is set up to be a Seahawks fan nine months in. Mm. Mm. Yes, Jason Dirt. Do you think, Doug, that if uh, if there was a a brand new franchise, not a relocation, but uh, a startup franchise in any market that's never had the NFL, do you think the COO's marketing plan 
in that market is, hey, we're playing the long game. You know, this isn't for the now; it's for the next ten to twenty years. If it was in some random city, and I, for whatever reason, I'm drawing a blank, same city in Iowa or whatever, you would think that they would just have those fans are going to be your fans from day one. I, do you think this is a, is a Los Angeles specific issue? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it's Los Angeles specific because because they had teams. Like it's a it's a it's a very different market than any other place in the world, right? They had the number one market lost two teams and didn't have them for twenty years. Meanwhile, the the entire league like blew up in terms of popularity. I just the whole thing's crazy. And oh yeah, by the way, like during those twenty years, you had a like a five year span where uh, where the the big college football program was the best college football program on earth, right? Like all of these things. So it wasn't that po- football wasn't popular. Football is very popular. But it, it it's a TV sport and you got to choose what you watch. You got to watch. Remember when, when LA didn't have a team, you had two games on in both windows. Right? You'd have two games in the morning and two games in the afternoon. And so, so what what would happen? You, you get to watch the biggest games, the best teams. The Cowboys run every week. Get at, The Cowboys train in Southern California. I believe the Cowboys are the most popular team. The Raiders run every week. The, the teams that are, were on TV for 20 years were the good ones and the Raiders. And guess who's popular in Los Angeles? Wait for it. The Cowboys, granted, they weren't great, but when those teams left, that's when the Cowboys were at their peak, winning three Super Bowls, including one in Los Angeles. Okay, the Niners, who've been really good. The Steelers have been really good. And honestly, the Rams, because the Rams went through a time when they were really good, and they were on TV a bunch. Those are the most popular teams. Even the Patriots are very popular when they come to town. Why? Because during those 20 years when L.A. didn't have a team, do you know who was good? The Patriots. So who was on TV? The Patriots. It really is that simple. Really is that simple. We have a uh, we have two tangible examples um, in the last twenty five years, right? Cleveland lost their franchise, and then uh, and Houston lost their franchise. And I got the feeling back then that both cities were just starving to get a team back. And in the twenty years that that there was a football team, that there wasn't an NFL team in this market, I just I don't remember having a conversation with my buddies being like, "Man, we need the NFL here." Like I always thought that was a media creation and the NFL's desire to be back, but I never got the sense that we were like th- real thirsty for a team out here. Um, no, but you also I don't think people knew what they were. All, uh, there's there's a there's there's a lot to it. Okay, so. I said this when the when the Chargers left San Diego that people just did not understand. They just they 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 can't fathom how important having a team and having a stadium is. I understand that there might be, we you didn't know what you didn't have because you didn't have it for so long and why you needed it. It 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 gives it gives your city something, but also that building is incredibly important. What are they going to get at the at SoFi? They're going to get the national championship game. They're going to get a Final Four. They're going to get every big concert. That's what San Diego would have had. San Diego would have hosted uh, national championship games in college football. It was supposed to be a dome. They would have gotten the Final Four. Heck, I, I'm, I'm guessing at some point in time the Lakers play a game in SoFi. Not, not out of their own possibility. Very likely, whenever LeBron James's last year is, they'll play a game in SoFi. Get 120,000 people in there. Going to happen. Has to happen. Why wouldn't it? 
especially with the Clippers building another building down the street. The Lakers, Inglewood has always been city of champions where the Lakers call home. They're going to they're gonna mark their territory at some point. Right? That whole thing makes sense. So I, I understand there, was, there didn't seem to be a thirst. Like nobody was sitting there going like, you know what I really want is to spend $500 on a ticket and $150 on parking. You know, and go see a go see one game when I could sit on my couch and for free watch any game I want. You know what's really interesting, Doug, is you just brought up the Lakers and Clippers and Vito, uh, Vito Violante, our imaging director here. I remember him saying a couple of years ago because he had a young son that when he would take his kid to the park, the basketball courts were sponsored by the Clippers. And there is such a divide between the Lakers' success and obviously the Clippers' success. But even the Clippers are kind of taking the Rams' approach to be like, okay, we're not going to maybe take over the Lakers in this town, and we're not going to be able to grab that pie right now. But if we can start young enough and grab those fans when they're at the park shooting hoops and seeing the Clippers' logo, that gives us a start you know, for 20 years down the line where maybe they, they hope to be. And I think that's part of the vision that the Rams hope to have, although the Rams just aren't competing with another squad with the Lakers brand, but I, I see parallels. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, you know. Where I, I don't know. I feel like the the now the the Chargers are they're trying a whole different way. They're gonna try and they're gonna have a facility in El Segundo, so they'll be in Los Angeles, whereas right now neither team trains in Los Angeles. Right? They're both really forty five minutes to an hour away. The Rams are further away than the Chargers are. They're in Thousand Oaks, right? So I think that part, I don't think that resonates with fans at all. I don't think they care where you live or what you do. It's just how you play. I mean, the, the best way to get fans is two things. Have a really good team and have cool colors. And they both have both. The Rams are just better. And that's why people be fans. My son was like, He's had a bunch of people go, are you a Rams fan? Like, no, I'm, I'm going to root for the Rams in the Super Bowl. Maybe. He really likes Jamar Chase. I'm going to root for the Rams in the Super Bowl, but I'm a Charger fan. So I, I, the, the, the Lakers thing is going to be interesting because LeBron is not cre- – I don't feel like – you guys could tell me, I don't think he's super popular with most adult Laker fans. Um, I, I still think that because he's LeBron, he's crazy popular with kids. And I do think that the Clippers, if they could ever get healthy and ever make a legit run and win a thing with it, I think they're doing all the right things. But it's going to be really hard because the Lakers have, you know, 50 years of incredible success and they have LeBron, which covers up for so many other flaws within the organization and the team. I mean, LeBron is... LeBron is one, he's been so good for so long, and he's like a he's like a cartoon character. Like he's he's a freak of nature. He's six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pounds. He's literally bigger than life. And you know, Kawhi Leonard I think is a great player, and last year when healthy, I think he was a better all around player than LeBron was. But trying to convince a kid that a guy who you never hear speak and wears some new balances is a better player than LeBron James, again, at this point in time in his career, and now he's not even on the floor, that's a hard sale. But I do understand what you're saying. Win the hearts and minds of the kids, and that, that's, that's the long game. That's the long game. Um, 